Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cocciolillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cocciolillo. And today we have Preston Dennett. He has been on before. He is a MUFON investigator, and he has written countless books on the phenomenon. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> do you even know how many books you've written? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I keep close count. Um, it's, it's 27 right now, um, but I've got another one coming up soon and another one after that. Wow. So, yeah, now I just say, you know, a couple dozen. How long does it take you to write one book? Uh, well, initially, you know, the first few were took a couple of years at least. I was in this field for 10 years before I wrote my first book. Uh, but now, you know, once it's the research really that takes a long time. Hmm. And that can take years. But putting the actual book together, I can do it in six months, I would say. So out of all the books you've written, is there any particular topic that you are really drawn to and see yourself continuing, you know, investigating that particular topic and writing more on it? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely just UFOs in general, because there's layers and layers to it. I mean, you could study just landing trace cases or, you know, just the government documents or stuff like this. But, uh, I love talking to people who've had really extensive experiences and kind of, I think that's just where, that's a good sort of front line of UFO research mm -hmm. where you can get a lot of information. But yeah, the whole paranormal field, it's really intriguing. Out of body experiences, uh, near death experiences, finding that really fascinating. Yeah. Mediumship, um, ghosts, all, <laughs> all of this stuff, I mean, for that matter, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Uh, that was something I really didn't want to investigate mm -hmm. <laughs> because I knew it was kind of it's going to open up a can of worms. Oh, like, yeah. What if it's real? What if this is a real phenomenon? And I'm because I'm thinking it probably was just from what I'd sort of looked at peripherally. But after I started getting my own cases, I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I should probably dig in here and see if this, you know what's been researched on this subject. Right. You know, that's something I was just taking a lot of heat for this morning because I had posted a uh, a Bigfoot episode. And one of the things I do is, like, after I post the episode, I go in and I post in different Facebook groups the episode link. And I had posted it in, a, in one of the, the uh, UFO groups that I belong to. And somebody was giving heat, like, well, well this is irrelevant to the UFO thing. And I, my, my response was, well, how do you know? Like, like the first thing, oh, well, Bigfoot's just a, a gorilla type of creature that doesn't, you know, have any advanced knowledge. So I was like, well, how do you know? How do you know that's what it is? And it's, it's, it's just going to be, I can see this, this debate is going to go on all day with this person. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, having looked into Bigfoot, I'm like, oh, great, it's real. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt. Because yeah. the evidence is overwhelming. It's in every state. It goes back hundreds of years. 
there's tracks, there's hair samples, multiple eyewitness sightings, um, all kinds of physical evidence, really. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that there are sort of two schools of thought with Bigfoot. <laughs> One's like, it's just sort of your wild, you know, primate that we haven't discovered yet or verified and not intelligent as we would think of it. And then there's another school of thought uh, that's like, yes, this is an intelligent being. And not only that, it has what we would call paranormal abilities, like telepathy and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And there's this weird UFO connection. Yes. That's kind of of what I'm leading to here. And I just did a little bit of a study on that. Because there are, most people who see Bigfoot aren't going to see a UFO, right? Right. Well, maybe they do because... They seem to be interlinked. It seems like where there's Bigfoots, there's usually UFOs or at least some kind of like orb spotted. Yeah, yeah, this is true, absolutely. But for most people, no. Right. Most people who have a Bigfoot encounter, there are no UFOs. And most people who have a UFO encounter, I mean, Bigfoot is the farthest thing from their minds. And yet, there's these, I don't know, there's good, a good hundred cases, which statistically is not a lot. When you look at him, you're like, well, how do you explain the fact that so many people are seeing Bigfoot at the same time as the UFO sighting? Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's a connection, but I certainly cannot rule out the possibility. Yeah, there's definitely some sort of connection. I think with almost 100 cases, we can pretty much say (laughs) something is going on here. But I have no idea. I mean, there's a bunch bunch of cases coming out of Pennsylvania, which has you know, quite a bit of Bigfoot activity. And one, actually, it was a group of ladies. Three people were driving along, and they saw this landed object. And three big, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, were released from it, came out of it, and ran into the forest. But, I mean, I don't even know how to interpret that. But that yeah. sort of thing is not unique. It really, I mean, I have my own case. This one guy uh, I interviewed, this is up in Canyon Country here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty remote area back certainly in the 70s. And uh, his name was Robert. He was a you know, good witness, a radiologist. And uh, he's out there in his home one evening and said he saw lights in his backyard. Went running to look at him and it looked like a darn UFO. Blue and white lights landed in the corner of his yard and it's totally silent not that far away a couple of hundred yards nothing out there though and this thing just takes off straight up it's gone and it was the next night the very next night he's in his house and hears this howling this sort of growling noise and it's bigfoot you know there are cougar up there there are um i think there were a couple of bear brown bear but he says no that's not what i heard and he had a telepathic link to it he said and i'm hearing him say what telepathy i'm like oh god what do you mean telepathy and he says that he felt like this bigfoot knew what he was thinking and he knew what it was thinking it was mad at the dogs and it wanted him to uh, you know hold back the dogs his dogs were barking like crazy so i yeah i started researching bigfoot from that and found out oh boy bigfoot and dogs do not get along (laughs) 
many, many cases of that, as well as uh, telepathy. Hmm. Like, wow, wow, I had, I had no idea. And that's how I kind of got into the whole Bigfoot thing. So what do you think the connection is? Do you think like Bigfoot is sort of like a a pet to aliens that they just drop off and let it run around the woods and maybe collect samples? Or do you think there's more to it? You know, I don't know. I would like to know um, because it's very curious. Uh, I think that there is a connection. Uh, I think in some cases they do seem to be ordering them around, honestly. There was a case in Colorado where a guy came upon a landed UFO and uh, there were these human looking ETs around and uh, there was also a Bigfoot and it was just ordering them around. So I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, it was like a pet. But yeah. as far as I can tell, Bigfoot has been here a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, these accounts stretch back written records more than 100 years and we have or oral tradition from like native americans stretching back many many years hundreds if not millennia uh, so it's clear they've been here forever and i i don't know i think some of these are probably intelligent because there are a number of few scattered cases where people have heard what seems to be language yes and uh it's just a very strange phenomenon that really hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. And that's something, yeah, I kind of want to look more into. I really do. I, I don't know what the connection is. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a connection too, you know. And a, a, as simple as it sounds, you know, this idea of sending them down here just to gather stuff. At the same time, I have to think that there's more to it than even that because it just seems too simple because that's something that that an et an extraterrestrial should be able to accomplish easily without having to use uh, a biological um cohort i guess would be the word yeah hey i mean they may be on the same level as ets like interdimensional intelligent sentient beings and are just interacting with them on um, sort of the way ETs interact with us. Right. Uh, or they could be ETs. There's a, there is at least one case I know of, uh, which I think this was in Wisconsin, Frederick, Wisconsin, uh, where Fr uh, William Bozak was driving along, and this is late at night, comes upon this craft hovering over the road and looks inside and describes seeing something that was very tall, very large, completely covered with hair, long muscular arms, basically the description of a Bigfoot. So I don't know. I, I, Did he see it come off the craft or go on the craft? No, no. He just That's all he saw, this thing looking through a porthole. And I believe he drove on or the thing took off. Strange. Uh, yeah, it's very strange. So I'm going to say that there is a connection, but I'm still kind of puzzled by the fact that most UFO cases and most Bigfoot cases are completely separate. So they're clearly separate phenomena. I mean, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's definitely, you know, it, it's funny. 
in in the community though how how UFO people will ridicule Bigfoot people. You know, because that's what's kind of happened to me on Facebook today. Like like they're like sort of like ridiculing me. Like, like oh, how can you say that? You know, there's so much that we don't know. I mean, there's even a possibility. Like like you know. Like one, like, you know, we're thinking about connections. Like maybe the eat, maybe the Bigfoots that always have been here, maybe they've been here longer than humans, and have a relationship with the ETs that go further back than even human existence. Yeah. Well, whatever the case is, I and mean, that might be it. <laughs> I think that's actually what the evidence is pointing towards. Uh. I, we have to look at all of this stuff because there is a connection. I mean, it's great that someone wants to specialize in a certain area. And if you just want to talk, talk about big footprints and study the heck out of that, that's awesome. But if we're going to really get answers, we're going to have to look at this all together. If there's, cause there's connection with ghosts too. I had to, I did not want to look into ghosts, right. honestly, but this was something I was sort of drawn into because I, when I would interview people about their UFO sighting, I'd always ask them, is there anything else strange that's happened to you? And often they would say, oh, well, my house is haunted, or I saw an apparition, or you know, I had a dream which came true, mm -hmm. or you know, I levitated as a child, one person told me. I'm like, what? <laughs> levitated? Uh, so I really started to realize that it was important to look at all aspects of this stuff and uh because every time i'm like no that's not real that's not real and i actually looked at the evidence i'm like oh oh my you know this looks like it actually might be real so so, so. it's possible that et's cryptids um what we consider ghosts or whatever spirits are all interacting to, with each other um, to some degree, there are weird connections. Um, like with that uh, case I told you, where the guy saw a UFO land in his backyard and then it was followed by a Bigfoot sighting. Following that, in the weeks following, he had a poltergeist outbreak in his house. Mm -hmm. Objects were moving around and doors opening and closing. He felt it was all related. And I have to agree because you know, by this point, I'm talking to all these people about ghosts. And again, most people who have a ghost sighting, that's that's it. It's just limited to that. But I went, there was these haunted apartments down in Van Nuys. These two ladies had moved in and there was knocking noises, cold spots. Uh, they started to have objects missing, strange noises, and uh, just weird things were happening. <laughs> One of them started having really horrific nightmares and then she'd like, see them on TV. She would dream about a murder and mm -hmm. then it would happen. And uh, so it was not a fun thing for them. They started having apparitions. Anytime they invited someone over, the person would like leave. They're like, oh my God, I got woken up in the middle of the night. Something was pulling at me. And they had, it got really bad to the point where these apparitions were uh, appearing in full view of both of them and then would zoom at them and try to possess them at right. night. And they were fighting them off. Ooh. And one lady's just saying the Lord's Prayer and she, and the, and they come and attack her and tried to possess her and actually did move inside her, she said. And her friend watched this uh, happen. 
And it was a very painful experience. She couldn't breathe. She was paralyzed for a second and finally pushed this thing out. And they're like, we're, that's it. We're moving. <laughs> we're moving tonight. And uh, they did. They moved out, went to another apartment, and everything stopped pretty quickly. There was a few more unexplained incidents. And one of them was this really weird thing about a week later. They're in there late at night, and suddenly they hear this loud buzzing noise. They're like, what's that? They're walking around trying to figure out where it's coming from. And it gets louder and louder till it feels like there's a plane about to crash on their apartment building. And they rush out into the balcony. And it's not a plane. It's a, a U-shaped object. It's got lights all along this sort of U. Uh -huh. And it's, it's a couple hundred feet uh, across, a couple of hundred feet high, and making this low buzzing noise, kind of a vibration. Clearly not a plane or a balloon or anything like this. And they thought, I mean, this thing was looking at them and they're looking at it and it darts away. And they feel like it's connected somehow to their haunting. And I have to agree because there's other cases like it and I'm just not, it makes me scratch my head. I'm like, well, what is this UFO doing at the tail end of a really bad poltergeist haunting? Portals. Maybe there's some type of vortex or portals that spirits and these UFOs are using. Some type of yeah. doorway. That could, you know, I wonder about that because there are certain areas that do produce sort of a sh smorgasbord of a. Like Skinwalker. Yeah. That's, or San, San Luis Valley mm -hmm. in Colorado, Santa Monica Mountains here. Um, has a bunch of UFO sightings. It has a few cryptid sightings. It has all kinds of stuff. So, I, yeah, I think what happens perhaps is when someone has an experience, like a really strong UFO experience, it opens them up. And so they are much more sensitive to perhaps having a ghost sighting hmm. or a wide variety of paranormal activity. Or maybe, say, ETs are coming through a portal, and they open the portal. But when they open the portal, it opens the door to everything. Cryptids, ghosts, all sorts of different things. And then when they leave and close it off, maybe some of those other things that cross over with the UFO or the ETs gets left behind. Yeah. Maybe they don't even close it properly. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I... I this is still a very uh, new field. This is, while ETs have been around for millennia, we know that. I mean, we've got cave paintings. We've got hieroglyphs from Egyptians and Middle Age and Renaissance paintings. And the Romans called them flying shields. Mm -hmm. They didn't know, you know. So we know these guys have been around forever. But not like now, where they're taking people on board in large numbers. Where, they, where they're landing, where they're doing flyovers over major cities over and over again. So, I don't know. Something, this is, I would say, unprecedented for humanity. Just, and uh, I think we're op moving towards open official contact. Yeah. I was interviewing somebody yesterday, and he was telling me, that the ETs that we're seeing are coming 
are life forms from within our solar system. He said that a lot of them were coming from Venus and that their major concern was um, humanity misusing its nuclear capabilities, wiping out our planet, and that would cause sort of like a shockwave and mess up the ecosystem with the other planets in our solar system. Right. Yeah, this is the strongest theme. It was, you know, contact with ETs was pretty much unknown until about 1950. And that's when we had a bunch of people, uh, mostly men, uh, but there were a few ladies claiming to have contact with basically friendly extraterrestrials, human looking. And uh, like George Adamski, a mm -hmm. California astronomer, or Daniel Fry, a rocket scientist from New Mexico, Truman Bethroom, Howard Menger, he was a sign painter. There's uh, Orfeo Angelucci. All these people were claiming the same thing. And uh, these ETs often said, oh, we're from Venus or we're from Mars. And uh, which we, you know, probably <laughs> is a way to just sort of evade where they're actually from. Because mm -hmm. um, I think we know pretty well that Venus is not habitable. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, that was their number one message. Um, it was always about nuclear proliferation and the way we're, what we're doing with nuclear power is causing waves in areas that we're not aware of. Just, so they seem to be very concerned. And, and uh, when uh, the sixties rolled around, there was Betty and Barney Hill. Yes. Right. They're the first kind of case where mm -hmm. someone was driving along late at night and has missing time. And under hypnosis, recall being taken by gray type ETs. And it wasn't the first case. It was just the first case to get publicized. Right. Turns out this has been going on since probably 30s, 20s even. Uh, so there are definitely early cases. And there was a bunch throughout the 50s and 60s. But they just didn't get publicized until, you know, the 1960s, really. Yeah, yeah, it really seems to have started up after World War Two. Yeah, maybe that caught their attention. Yep, it's the modern age of nuclear power. It was you know nineteen late nineteen forties, mm -hmm. and, and that's the modern age of UFOs. Nin July of nineteen forty seven actually is when the UFOs came in huge numbers. It was that summer. And that's when the Roswell crash occurred, a number of other UFO crashes, I understand. But it was a worldwide wave of sightings that was just massive. And at first, no one could figure out where these things were coming from. I mean, we still don't really know. Uh, but I think our government and other governments across the world know that this yes. is extraterrestrial. It's not coming from any country on Earth. Yeah. Like one of my favorite cases is actually when you're... Uh, the flying, there's like a, almost like a fleet of flying saucers flying like right over the White House. Yeah. People, you know, like, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, yeah, and I always, we have. And I always think of that. I think that was 52. I know it's either 52 or 54, but I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it's 52. And uh, that there was waves of sightings going on. And these things come right over the Capitol 
And uh, this is verified. This is not speculation. This caused one of the largest, longest press conferences on UFOs. Uh, and uh, they tried to call it a temperature inversion, <gasps> which is absolutely <laughs> absurd uh, because they were vectoring pilots after these things. And the pilots would radio back to the control tower and that is they would have a lock on these objects. And at that moment, the object would dart away. So it was clear to the pilots that the occupants of these craft were listening in on their radio conversations. And uh, yeah, I mean, many, many people saw this and some of the in insiders, you know, the actual firsthand eyewitnesses have gone public and said, no, this was definitely not temperature inversions. They appeared on radar and we vectored planes after them, jets. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like <laughs> like they've been there and uh there's so much Yeah, I wonder proof. why they did that. <laughs> you know, I mean like what what was the intent there? Yeah, there was definitely some type they were definitely making a statement there. Right? Yeah. And I'm thinking it's like we're here. Because honestly, these things have really incredible, you know, abilities. They outdistance all our jets. They can turn invisible. There's a, the government knows this as well. There's a really famous case which appeared in the Blue Book and Conning Committee files at Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado Airport. They had this thing appear on radar, and it kept swooping over the. Uh, airport runway except they, there was nothing they could see it it was just this blip on the radar and would come in for a near landing scoop down over the runway and then take off and uh, complete because they know this wasn't a radar anomaly because it was appearing on two different radar arrays two, two different sets and uh they were not able to explain it so they know that things can turn invisible they they could take over if they want, I guess is my point. If they were hostile, they would, could have taken over at any time and probably much more easily back then than, they, than perhaps now. Yeah. Uh, but still, so what, what are they doing? What was that display over the Capitol? That was sort of a, a hello, perhaps? I don't know if it was a hello or, or maybe it was a warning, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a display of power. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're, we're in charge, not you. Yeah, and you know what case really speaks to that? <laughs> is the Malmstrom uh, case. Uh, this is in Montana where UFOs came right down over these nuclear missiles. Oh, yes, yes. And boom, 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 shut them, them down. <laughs> put them offline. And uh, so... <laughs> Multiple witnesses to this one, too. This was something yes. that was he heavily covered up initially. Mm -hmm. um, but now we know it's not unique. It's hardly unique. And there are multiple cases like this. where There was yeah. one where they actually launched, you know, put them in launch code. Boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom. Instead of turning them off. To show that they can do this both ways. I, I know that one they, where they turned them off. Like There was people on the ground that seen them. They were seen on radar. Yep. They were hovering over these silos. Yeah. They were hovering over the main gate. They were very low. And the guards had their guns drawn. 
This happened at a Indian Point nuclear power station as well. Uh, UFOs appeared. This is in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And everyone saw it. There was like some 50 people saw it. The guards had their guns drawn. The entire security system uh, failed. All the electricity, you know, the entire station was put on shutdown. And this thing hovered over one of the reactors. They later inspected it and found that it had an irregularity and an anomaly that needed to be you know, repaired, hmm. uh, which they think was probably there before this thing. Uh, but so, I don't know. They seem to, seem to be very interested in nuclear stuff, anything nuclear. So do you think there was a treaty made between Eisenhower and the ETs? I actually have been trying to get, I think, Laura Eisenhower on the show, but I haven't been successful yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I looked really deeply into that, actually, because uh, I wrote a book called UFOs Over California. And I have to tell you, that's one of those top 20 cases in the state, for sure. Uh, this is the so-called Eisenhower meeting in 1954. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you hear about, like, what? <laughs> a president meeting with the aliens? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what, what evidence is there for that? And that, that was kind of my thought, you know, because that's, that's, a, that's true. That's incredible. And if you look at what happened, it's like, wow, you know, this is not something that uh, is unsubstantiated. Many researchers are taking this very seriously. In 1954, President Eisenhower was supposed to go and play golf, mm -hmm. uh, in like Palm Springs or something, but he, dis he didn't do it. He disappeared from public view. Nobody knew what had happened to him. The press went crazy. And in fact, one newspaper said that he may have died of a heart attack. And they printed this because uh, they could not find him. And finally, he comes back and says, no, it was just a dental emergency. Sorry, you know, nothing, nothing's wrong. And uh, almost, in, I mean, literally, immediately, rumors started leaking out about what happened from insiders. Hmm. Uh, there was a pilot, there was a guard, there was a scientist. Uh, Gerald Light was one of the people who made the, a major leak, um, which got filtered to a UFO researcher uh, after you know through a few people, and it wrote was this letter about this entire meeting, about how uh, ETs had landed. Eisenhower talked to them face to face. There was many high-level officials there. Uh, there was possibly an onboard experience and a sort of a ride in these things. They showed him that they could turn their craft invisible. And uh, they said that humanity is lagging behind in its spiritual growth. And that we really need to concentrate on educating people about morality and altruism and this sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, we're like, well, we, we were, are interested in your technology. <laughs> and, and they're like, no, we, <laughs> you know, we really can't release that. Uh, and you guys should probably disclose our presence. We think that um, you need to disclose. And we didn't want to do that mm -hmm. uh, because it would upset economy. It would upset religion. It would upset society in a number of ways. So there was sort of an impasse there, uh, but that was essentially the what the meeting was about. And as time goes on, more and more information comes out supporting this. Um, First-hand insiders who were there said, yes, it happened. And these are not, you know, low-level people. These are people high within government. Yeah. 
Um, it's well known Eisenhower was very interested in UFOs. Uh, he used to draw them and doodle them and kept up on the scene. I'm not an expert on presidents and UFOs, but they all have a, they all know about this. Hmm. Uh, and the Eisenhower meeting is kind of the one that really yeah. makes me wonder, makes me wonder like, wow, what is going on here? How deeply are we involved with UFOs? So if they're concerned with our spiritual evolution, do you think any of them have reached out to some of our spiritual leaders, people like the Dalai Lama or the Pope? Um, I would guess that they've reached out to all levels of society. Uh, I don't think we have any super high-level spiritual leaders who report this. Uh, but if you go down the line of witnesses, we do have presidents. We've mm -hmm. seen them. Uh, and for that matter, governors, Governor Fife Simon. Fife Symington of Arizona isn't the only one, or uh, representatives, senators, all levels of government, all levels of military. Uh, in my own interviews, I've interviewed people within the Navy uh, who've seen this stuff, police officers, uh, some very well-known celebrities. So I know this is reaching all levels of society. And I'm guessing that, yes, probably they have. Uh, ast astronomers, certainly. There's a high level, number of sightings among astronomers. Uh, I'm just waiting for someone of really profound influence to step forward and say, yeah, I've seen him. Like John Lennon did. Right. Um, uh, and he's a very influential, influential guy. But to have you know, someone like super famous... <laughs> Uh, we don't have that yet. I would say the, mo the most famous celebrity to say, oh, I've had contact might be, uh, gosh, who? Tom DeLonge, perhaps? Probably. Um, John Lennon saw, but no, John Lennon didn't claim contact, not publicly at least. There are rumors he did actually have full-on contact with great type ETs. Hmm. Uh, but, but I'm waiting for, you know, someone super famous to to say, yes, this happened to me. Because I know they're out there. I know it. Um, do you think that we'll see this in our lifetime where, where it all comes out? I sure wonder. I sure wondered. I, I, uh, I'm not going to discount the possibility. I'm a little jaded because I got in this field in 1986. I found out like my brother had seen a UFO, my sister-in-law, people I work with, a friend had missing times. So did someone at work. Uh, you know, someone I knew had seen gray ETs. So I'm like, wow, this is a real phenomena. And uh, I dived into the deep end. And way back then, there were rumors that our government was going to disclose. And I'm like, wow. And it didn't happen. And then a couple of years would pass by and they're like, oh, yeah, the next year is going to be the year. Mm -hmm. It just never happened. It's like, no, and now it's what, 1997, the 50th year of the Roswell anniversary. Uh, and uh, that was supposed to be a big thing. And that turned out not to be a disclosure. Uh, but on the other hand, bit by bit, every there was another high level government official claiming contact or another case that couldn't be denied. And it 
got to the point where more people believed our government was hiding information about UFOs than, you know, did not believe that. Right. And uh, it just started to reach a point where our government was being forced to disclose as well as other governments. And that's what I think we're seeing right now, honestly, with the Tic Tac footage. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the Pentagon, what, yeah. remember what they just said? They said, we have materials from other worldly vehicles. Yes. That's a quote. That should be front page news. Uh, I'm not sure why it isn't. I mean, there's a lot of news going on right yeah. now. Perhaps that's why. Uh, it was kind of a sneaky time to slip that in there. Maybe that's what uh, makes this the perfect time to do it, too. You know, because we're so overwhelmed with other things. that The idea of extraterrestrials almost seems like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Um, but, but there yeah, has, but, but it does seem like there's been like some, some slow disclosure. Um, and, and, and people that have come up out and talked about it, um, I mean, there's been, you know, people like Bob Lazar, um, Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, has talked about it. Uh, the release of the Tic Tac video, um, the, yeah. the the releasing of the, the Project Blue Book files. So it, it's slowly been trickling out. Yeah, we had a big thing. I mean, those files are being released right now. Yeah, I know there was a huge dump just <laughs> like a week ago. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what comes out of there. I haven't had, uh, looked at it yet. Um, I'm not a document expert, mm -hmm. but uh, I like Dave, David Greenwald uh, with the Black Vault. Yeah, that's where uh, I was looking uh, at him. Um, yeah, he's he's really the document guy. I'm really interested to see, you know, what comes out after someone looks through all of these, and do we have any smoking guns? It's just, oh, it makes me so angry because for decades our government has spent an enormous amount of money and time and effort uh making people who see ufos look like fools actually telling them that they saw venus uh when you know clearly they didn't uh make them look like drug addicts and liars and hoaxers and just covering this subject up when they knew full well it was real from the very beginning yeah so yeah. I'm glad to see this coming out. And I, I wonder now if it is it because they have no choice to come out, or um, or they just yeah. feel it's the appropriate time. I feel like they have no choice. Uh, I mean, they have a choice, but it's reached such a point where most people believe UFOs are real. Most people know. I mean, maybe not know, but uh, certainly believe. A lot of people know. And uh, for our government to continue to deny this really ruins their credibility. It makes them look like idiots. Right. Uh, and this happened, you know, decades ago with the, like, Michigan sightings. In, in Dexter, Michigan, and at Hillsdale College, there was almost 100 people who watched this UFO land in front of the college and take off, and it's darting around, and... This is when Hynek got into trouble for calling it swamp gas or possibly <laughs> swamp gas. And they, everyone who was there knew it wasn't swamp gas and made our government look bad and 
Heinick got out of the government that then and there. He really did. This is, that was the low point and uh, could no longer live this lie of Blue Book, which was to basically whitewash this whole phenomena, like pretend it doesn't exist, concentrate on the cases that are obviously Venus and anyone who saw something actually land or, you know, oh, you're crazy. No, we're not even going to investigate. Let's see if this person has ever had any legal problems. This is their M.O. Yeah. And uh, thank God Heineck got out and started writing his own books saying, you know, I don't know what this is. I'm not quite ready to say it's extraterrestrial because uh, he wasn't in the loop. Mm -hmm. uh, he really wasn't. Most of the best cases, the ones that affected national security, never reached Blue Book. They went to the Air Technical Intelligence Command. So they were basically trying to feed him the, the cases that they knew he could debunk. Yeah. Although, although some of them ended up not being him not being able to debunk them. Anyway. Yeah, a lot of them. Because <laughs> and this is the whole problem. And this is why our government is just closing because they have hundreds of crashed saucers. They have hundreds of bodies. They are interacting with them daily. As far as, um, I mean, what the evidence is showing us is that they are, you know, it's not just the Eisenhower meeting. Apparently, there's meetings going on at Edwards Air Force Base on a fairly regular basis. There was a group of, there was this one radio show where a group of construction workers called in and said, oh, yeah, we, we saw ETs and humans working together at the very lower levels of Edwards Air Force Base. And mm. for that matter, Area 51 has dozens upon dozens of whistleblowers like um, who's one bill you house I, I was able to talk to him directly uh-huh and uh he talked about working directly with a gray et so they are in contact uh and want us to disclose and since we're not disclosing and we're not disclosing their technology the ufos the occupants the et's are doing a grassroots movement and showing themselves to people and giving direct contact on a one by one basis, taking them on board and giving them these messages about nuclear proliferation and about just don't pollute your planet. <laughs> All do, these do, do you think things. that there's a lot of people that are contacted by ETs that don't, you know, they just, walk away from the, from the event and say, you know what? I am just not saying anything to anybody because I don't want to lose my job or I don't want to lose my friends or I don't want my family thinking I'm crazy. Yeah, I know that happens because that's exactly what people tell me. Like, I have not even told my wife. Nobody knows. what I'm, You're the first, uh, which is a huge responsibility. And for people, it's this ridicule factor that keeps people silent. Uh, but often they'll tell one or two people, uh, their family, uh, a friend, maybe a spouse. Uh, it doesn't often doesn't go beyond that. And people will keep this secret from everyone. And that's why I think, I mean, in my own case, I, I found out my family was keeping secrets from me. <laughs> they weren't telling me and they weren't telling anyone. And I'm like, what the heck? And I heard a quote from J. Allen Hynek, um, you know, the blue book guy. Mm -hmm. 
who said that one in 40 people have been taken on board a UFO. And I, I read that early. I'm like, no, no, no way. There's just no way that's that many. I would know somebody because I'm sure I know about 50 people pretty well. And I started asking all of them. <laughs> and everyone was very gracious. And, you know, a few gave me kind of weird looks, but 20, 30%, I know five people had had contact within my circle of family, friends, and coworkers. And that, that's why I'm like, oh, there's an epidemic. I mean, let's look into this. And I started serving major researchers. And I wrote this article for the MUFON Journal, the Mutual UFO Network. Mm -hmm. And I called it 140, you guys. There's an epidemic of contact here. A lot more people are being taken on board than you might think. Because Jacques Vallée was talking about this, Bud Hopkins, uh, all kinds of researchers said that, you know, this might be more common. And it was one year later uh, that the Roper organization, who does surveys and polls, decided to tackle the UFO subject. And they did a big widespread poll asking you know, thousands of people. I don't know how many, but I'm pretty sure it was over a thousand. Um, all these questions and sn sneaked in there were questions about UFOs and sort of markers of what we know would identify a person as having had onboard UFO experiences, as being an abductee, such as a close-up UFO sighting, missing time, weird marks on your body, unexplained injuries or healings, you know, dreams, little balls of light in your house, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the Roper poll found that one in 50 people have had these experiences. That's a lot. That's millions. That's millions of people. So, yeah, the editor of the MUFON Journal wrote me back. So I'm like, wow, you know, you predicted this. I'm like, yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't. <laughs> JL Nynick did, but <laughs> um, it's pretty interesting because that's something I always tell people. I'm like, you don't believe this subject? You're skeptical? All right. You know, I get it. I was skeptical for years, but I challenge you to do this. Ask everyone you know. Ask people you trust and know won't lie to you. Uh, have you had an unexplained experience? You know, don't necessarily say UFO. Leave it open-ended. Mm -hmm. um, because some people will, will describe, you know, no, I never, I didn't see it. One lady, she just doesn't believe in UFOs, except she described a very typical sighting. It's really interesting. This was one of my first cases. Yeah, and that's one of this is an interesting thing, too, is people experience these things and they don't believe that they're even having the experience. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, uh, when I had just gotten into this field. I'm like buying all the books. I'm going crazy, joining all the organizations, I'm camping out in the fields at night. I'm like looking. And I brought, you know, I brought it up at work. I'm talking to the lady I'd worked with for years, and she's describing this sighting where she and her whole family saw this star-like object darting around for about an hour. This is in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California, late at night at a church camp. And everyone there saw it. And um, I'm like, you're sure it wasn't a helicopter? She's like, Preston, it would stop, and then it would zip across the sky and stop, and it was totally silent. And uh, I'm like, okay, it doesn't sound like a helicopter. And Dorothy walks in, and I know, I've known Dorothy for years and years, and she starts listening, and her face lights up. She's like, oh, UFOs? Um, 
I love Dorothy. She's completely unfiltered. <laughs> you know, she just blurts out what she's thinking. <laughs> and she's like, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I'm like, oh, here we go. And she just floored me with this incredible story where she was like 14 years old, I think it was, uh, around there at the library with her friend Carol. And uh, as they're going into the library, and when there, there's this light up in the sky, and her friend Carol gets all nervous, but they go into the library and come out a couple of hours later at 9 o'clock because um, the library closes. And... Uh, they get out a little early because they want to smoke a cigarette before their mother picks them up, um, Dorothy's mother. So it's a couple of minutes before nine and they're sitting there on the sidewalk and looking up at the sky and there's that light again. And it, it's dark and it, they're looking, thinking, huh, is that a star? Is that that same light? When it comes swooping down and hovers over the telephone wires across the street. And I'm like, you're kidding. And she says, no, it was actually a metallic disc. It was about 30 feet wide had little lights around it, red, yellow, orange, uh, green. It was really pretty, silver metal, totally silent. And uh, I talked to Carol, her girl, girlfriend as well. She described the same thing. And they, her mom drives up, Dorothy's mom. And uh, the kids point out the object, and Dorothy's mom gets really nervous, piles the kids in the car, and they take off. They live five minutes away from the library. They, you know, they left at nine o'clock precisely, because that's exactly when the library closed. And uh, this thing followed them home over their car. And they run into the house, run into the second story and look out the window. It's still there, hovering across the street. It darts back and forth and takes off into the sky and comes a little dot and it's gone. And Carol looks at the clock and it says 1015. It's the last time. Yeah. And so this is what Dorothy's telling me, having no idea what missing time means. She doesn't know. She's like, it's the weirdest thing. Our time, the time just disappeared. And I'm getting this cold chill because, you know, I had just read Missing Time by Bud Hopkins. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I'm like, can I talk to your friend? Can I talk to your mom? And I did talk to her, her mom, and her mom says, oh, you know, I don't believe in UFOs. I'm like, well, what did you see? She says, well, it was saucer-shaped, and it was right over the wires. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally silent. And uh, the kids were super excited, and I was a little nervous. I'm like, wow, that sounds unusual. She's like, yeah, but I don't believe in UFOs. <laughs> it did follow us home, she said. <laughs> and uh, we watched it dart off, but she said it at least three times, you know, I don't believe in this stuff. And she, she was so, you know, just did not want to admit that she saw something unexplained. Hmm. I could not explain it and just gave a great interview. I mean, she described this exactly like the other two did. Wow. So uh, this sounds yeah. like I have a coworker and when, she, when I told her I was doing this, you know, I, I had this podcast and, you know, I was covering a lot of UFO stuff. And, and she told me, she goes, well, you know, when I was young, I was in a car with like three other people and we were driving down the country road and um, we, we, we saw a, a bright light in the sky and then all of a sudden, like, I guess they, they, they sort of blacked out and then they kind of like woke up in the car and they were at home. 
Yep. <laughs> that's, like, that, that's such a classic <laughs> experience. And they all experienced it together, like to verify each other's experience. It's a huge red flag. Yeah, one guy I know went out blackberry picking. Uh, this is actually one of the cases in my latest book, Onboard UFO Encounters. He and his whole family would go blackberry picking. You know, it's something they did. They lived in West Virginia and just crossed the border into uh, Kentucky, where there were some great um, fields there filled with blackberries, and came upon what they thought was a flying saucer house, is what they called it. It was this really cool-looking house on stilts, mm -hmm. saucer round, saucer-shaped, little portholes. And uh, never even occurred to them that it was anything other than you know something ordinary at first, at least. And they drove by it, and Joe, the guy I interviewed, got he's just a little kid at the time, got super excited. He's like, let's stop, let's stop, look at that, it's so cool. And wouldn't shut up until his dad's like, finally, fine. They pull a U-turn and pull off the road and go off and look at this thing. It's off there in a, you know, a little holler uh, hidden in the trees, you know, 100 yards off the road. And there's no driveway, there's no wires, there's nothing connecting this thing to civilization at all. And his father, like, completely mystified and is walking around the whole thing. Joe walks up and touches one of the stilts. It's on, like, three legs. Right. You know, your tip, typical flying saucer. And he said it was ice-cold metal. He still remembers how that metal felt. And his father starts knocking on it. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> And darned if this uh, op opening appears and a little kind of staircase comes down, a flimsy metal staircase. And this hand starts waving them up. And this ended up being this long, drawn-out, amazing case where uh, Joe and his father and actually the whole family were taken on board, uh, physically examined, uh, Shown how this craft flies. Joe was given something to eat and drink, which made him <laughs> pass out. And uh, he was taken to another room, shown a star field. It was a really amazing case. He saw his family being examined. Uh, that was pretty scary for him. And at any rate, next thing he knows, they're bam on the highway racing along. <laughs> And his father is angry and he's studying on a stream of cuss words like nobody's been. It's like, those bleep bleep people, I'm going to kill them. But they weren't people. And his mom's upset. His little sister's crying. And next thing, you know, they wake up the next morning in a pile in the living room floor going, what the hell happened? Wow. The sister doesn't remember a thing. The mom remembers did, did we drive by a haunted house? <laughs> the father remembers everything or something, but would not talk about it. Would not. And Joe got in trouble for talking about it. Actually, the government people show up and tell him to shut up. Mm -hmm. uh, because Joe was telling everybody. <laughs> he was just jabbering about it at school and just going on and on. It was, for him, a lifetime of contact. But yeah, missing time can be seamless people will have it and not even know yeah it's a it's a sure sign so the government telling people to shut up the men in black um 
do you think that's what the men in black are? Is like, it's like a, a branch of the military or government trying to keep all this information um, concealed? Or do you think um, they are actually aliens themselves? Uh, what, and, and how did they even find out? Like, how did they know that people were having these encounters and to show up at that certain time? Yeah, the, the, these are great questions. My, I think there are two types of men in black, and we've kind of gotten them. I mean, they've been used interchangeably. Really, there's only one type of men in black, and I don't think that they are humans as we think of them. We've got people within government who are studying the subject and will show up and will try to take evidence and threaten people uh, if they go public. But there's this other type of men in black who do the same thing, and they're not human. They look human, but they show up in these black limousines. These, uh, they're dressed in black suits. They've got very strange eyes. This, their skin tone is off. Their accent is not quite right. They talk, you know, use weird syntax, and uh, have very strange eyes and Threaten, they will show up immediately after a UFO sighting when someone has not told a single soul. Uh, if, and especially if a person has evidence of some form. Like yeah, really it's so photograph. strange. I've only got a few cases like that. Uh, I honestly don't get the classic men in black. I haven't run into that a whole lot. I've run into the other guys, the government guys, uh, in terms of you know interference, for mm -hmm. sure. One, one lady... I interviewed, had gone under hypnosis and uh, discovered she was an abductee, had been her whole life. She's having an enormous number of experiences. Wherever she'd go, UFOs were following her. There'd be a wave of sightings. Her family, her friends had all seen UFOs. She actually showed me UFOs twice. Uh, this lady was incredible. Uh, and uh, she had someone break into her house and steal her hypnosis tapes. Couldn't believe it. And another guy I interviewed from upstate New York uh, was having all these encounters and having a hard time with it, uh, missing time and all this stuff. And uh, finally just realized this was UFO related and he wrote down all his encounters and uh, put it in an envelope and uh, put him in an envelope and put it on the mantle of his fireplace and came home from work one day. He worked you know, at a hospital and it was gone. Someone had broken into his house and you know, there was no evidence of a break-in, but the thing was missing. He has no idea how they got in and out. Um, I think it's government people because I, I run into this every now and then. So it's almost like the, the, the government is definitely trying to prevent the ETs from disclosing themselves. Yeah, I think that was the message in the Eisenhower meeting. They wanted to disclose, and we're like, no, no, please don't. <laughs> and uh, I think they're doing the best they can without actually landing. And what we do see is two types of UFO behavior. One that's evasive, where they don't want to be seen. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you were to go out right now, the chances are you're not going to see a UFO. They're just not flying around like planes do, right? They don't want to be seen generally speaking. Then we have this other type of encounter where 
Oh yeah, they want to be seen. Hmm. And uh, like the phoenix lights, like there's no, <laughs> there's yeah. no avoiding that. <laughs> they wanted to be seen, clearly. Uh, the UFO. I think the first UFO investigator to really uh, realize this was Frank Salisbury, uh, a biologist who was one of the first few scientists to really look into the UFO phenomena. There was just a handful of them. Frank. Let's see, James McDonald, Jalen Hynek, uh, Jacques Vallée, really very few scientists were looking into this. And Frank Salisbury was one of them. Um, he was in, I think it was uh, Utah. And he ended up writing a book called The Utah UFO Display. Because like, guys, sometimes these UFOs want to be seen. They are showing themselves on purpose. And we see this not only with the Phoenix Lights, but the Gulf Breeze mm -hmm. wave, these waves of sightings. There was another one up upstate New York. Yes. Um, there was, well, of course, the Topanga Canyon UFO wave, mm -hmm. 1992 to 94. The, Stevensville. The Battle of L.A. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a clear one. So what they're doing is they're showing themselves. It's a publicity campaign. And I looked into this and I found something out really cool uh, in terms of like, okay, schools, schoolyard sightings. Yes. Like I in Zimbabwe it happened. Yeah. This, in that case, it's the ultimate case of this kind. It was 1994, September 1994. Her UFO lands next to the playground. ETs get out and talk to the children. And I think there was like 200 kids in the yeah. playground. 60 of them saw this uh, and you know a smaller group saw the ETs and actually spoke with them but this was very widely viewed and I'm like wow that's amazing and I wonder you know, it's, if it's unique and because uh, I, I remembered hearing about another sighting and sure enough there was one and uh, the one I was thinking about was in Australia in um, Melbourne Westall High School 1966 mm -hmm. Uh, which turned out to be two weeks after the Hillsdale College sighting where it hovered or landed next to the college. <laughs> and two weeks later, the, this UFO lands next to Westall High School. Two of them landed. Kids ran up to it. A group of, you know, a small group of kids surrounded it, but some 200, 300, 400 kids saw this. And teachers too, by the way. And government showed up. <laughs> And it was a big, it's Australia's most famous sighting, most widely viewed uh, in history. Wow. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, it's another school year. So I started looking at all of them. There's a hundred all over the world, starting from 1950, where these objects hover over schools, very low level for a long time and put on a display. I mean, they will dart around, they'll land in 30% of the cases they're landing. So this is what I'm talking about. This is what I would call a display. And what's really interesting with the schoolyard sightings is, get this, half of them are elementary schools, mm -hmm. you know, prim primary schools, the youngest kids. And all these kids are, have no fear. They have no idea what a UFO is. And it makes you know, an impression. Yes. And they remember it for the rest of their lives. And... It's a very sort of sneaky way to sort of uh, convince people, you know, convince mainstream society that UFOs are real without making headlines.
headline news. Um, it still did make headline news, by the way, <laughs> in a number of these cases. Uh, but most, no. A lot of these went right under the radar. And most people, I don't think, realize that this is a thing. UFOs are hovering over our schools. All the way up till today, by the way. There are recent cases as well. What is like the most recent school sighting? Um, there was, you know, that takes a, a little while to trickle down, but the most recent one I could find, was, I think, was 2019 uh, in, uh, gosh, where was it? Uh, Indonesia or one of these other countries. Um, actually, the teach, teacher saw it, the kids saw it, the teacher tried to take a picture. This was at noon. It's a very bright object comes down and it's like the sun. It's not the sun, though. It's a super bright, bright object. And she took a picture and all it shows is just whiteness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I yeah, I believe this was 2018 or 2019. It's not uh, that in, long ago. In, in Indonesia. Uh, and I'm sure if I were to look it up, I could find more recent cases. Hmm. Yeah, I put that book out and a bunch of people contacted me like, oh, that's happened to me. You know, oh, this happened to me. And it started in 1950. And there was good cases every single year, pretty much. All the way up till you know, the current day. So maybe they think that one of the best ways to really influence us and reach to us is to uh, go with the younger children because they're not as jaded yet. Yeah, yep, I think so. I think that's one of their techniques. Uh, but it's not all they do. I'm like, if one of these things were to hover over, you know, Dodger Stadium during the Super Bowl, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, or uh, where there's thousands upon thousands of people, that would could be a conclusive moment. Because enough people would have cell phones that would be undeniable. Uh, it would be a sort of open step towards open official contact and they haven't really done that but they do show themselves to crowds of people sometimes and i found another you know i guess what you would call ufo attractor uh or a, another type of ufo display and this is actually in my most recent book ufos at the drive-in and i had interviewed this lady named claudia I was like found you know i met her at work where i worked as a bookkeeper and she's like, oh, I had a UFO sighting. You're into UFOs? I'm like, yeah, what did you see? She says, I was at the drive-in, Paramount Drive-in, 1971. And this suddenly, everyone started going crazy. She said people were running back to their cars, dropping their popcorn and their drinks and screeching out. And she looked over at her parents and her parents were entranced, looking uh, not at the screen, but to the right of it. So she, she is. She was in the back seat and mm -hmm. kind of just goofing around. She looks to the right of the screen, and there's this giant flying saucer. She says it was a classic saucer, it was silver. There was no portholes, but it had little lights on it, and it was making this kind of whoosh, whoosh, whoosh noise. And people were freaking out. I'm like, "You're kidding?" She's like, "No, it was below the level of the screen. It was like it was looking at us, watching us watch the movie." Well, no one's watching the movie at this point. <laughs> uh, but, so, and uh, she doesn't remember what happened. She does not remember what happened after that, which is weird. But this is that amnesia thing, which turns up in UFO cases and turned up here. So I don't know if this was a mass abduction or what. I don't know. 
but they didn't remember it or talk about it at all until years later when they heard, were listening to the radio. Some guy calls in and says, you're not going to believe what happened to me at the Paramount drive-in and describes her encounter in detail. Claudia turns to her mom. It's like, oh my God, we were there. And her mom's like, yeah, we were. I remember that. That was so weird. And Claudia's like, well, why didn't we talk about it? You know, what happened? And her mom's like, I have no idea. No idea. Wow. So that was my first case. I'm like, UFOs that are driving. What are they doing? This must be unique. Uh, but I started running into others and I was writing UFOs over Colorado. And I ran into three in a row. <laughs> yeah, one of these came right down over theater and it was blinking its lights. Everyone's flashing their lights and honking their horn. <laughs> And it's just showing itself off. That's and again, such a it was a strange place to do it. Right? It's right next to the screen, too. I mean, this is not like you're at the theater at night and something flies by. These things see the theater and come swooping down and put on a show. These are, again, like the schoolyard sightings, long, very low level, often long lasting sightings. Uh, no actual landings, but boy, oh boy, these things want to be seen. And they've got a captive audience. And I think it's just big enough where it doesn't, you know, make them too nervous about having a lot of publicity. And it worked because I did not know about these cases. I don't think most researchers even know about this is a thing. There's 100 cases like this. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, all across the U.S. I've mapped it out. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So and, when you mapped it out, is, is there already concentrated in any particular area or are they just scattered? It's scattered. You know, I'm like, well, it seems to be pretty much they covered the U.S. They covered it. And there was a few cases in Canada and really nowhere else. There was like one in China at an outdoor theater. But there are, you know, drive-ins are a U.S. phenomena. Uh, and uh, I got a map of all the drive-ins is what I did and compared it. I'm like, yep, they you know, you overlay one to the other and they intersect perfectly. Hmm. And what it looks like to me is they, you know how like a, a Madonna or whoever does a, a concert tour hmm. or an author, you know, does a book tour and goes from city to city to city and making an appearance. That's exactly what these guys did. They would go from theater to theater to theater making an appearance. And it would rarely make national news. A few times it did, but often, often enough, made uh, local news, the local newspaper. And that's where I found all these accounts. It wasn't in books. I'm, I, when I dug deep into like newspaper archives, I'm like, wow, how come no one knows about this? This is crazy. Wow. I had no idea that... They didn't know there was any connection between UFOs and drive-ins. Yeah, you, you want to see a UFO? <laughs> I'm telling you, go to a drive-in. There was one drive-in that was visited so often. This was up in Canada, actually. The, uh, the owners of the drive-in put in their advertisement, want to see a UFO? Come to the drive-in. <laughs> the Yuma, Yuma drive-in in Arizona has been visited at least three times. Uh, but yeah, every, I don't want to say every state, but I found like, I think 15 states I couldn't find cases in about, about that. But I'm guessing of the 100 I found, there's 100 more 
because most people aren't talking about this. Our government knows. Here's a case where I know our government knows about this from the very beginning. The terrorists drive-in in Bakersfield, California. This was 1952. And uh, Lieutenant Jenkins is at the drive-in with a bunch of other people. I and mean, there's room for 600 cars. And this object, a cigar-shaped object, drops down out of the sky and stops right over the screen, 50 feet up. This is what they always do. And it flashes its lights or maybe portholes. Um, there was some disagreement about whether these were lights or portholes. And uh, stays there, in this case, only a few moments, just not long at all, and darts off like a bullet. But impressed everybody enough, he calls the local police. Uh, Deputy Leroy Hatfield takes the call <laughs> and uh, um, says, wow, you know, takes the report and, and hangs up the phone and the phone rings again. It's another person. And after four people call him, Deputy Hatfield says, you know, hang up. I'm coming down. Goes to the <laughs> terrorist driving. And there's 100 people still there. And he takes the testimony of 30 people. And they were still clambering all around him. He's like, that's it. My arm's too tired. I know what you saw. Go home. And uh, he fills out a report and sends it off to the Air Force. Edwards Air Force Base was nearby. Okay. And that's where it was rooted to. And initially the Blue Book, but bypassed Blue Book, actually. This is, you know, this is where I found this in government archives, as well as uh, uh, newspaper reports. And at any rate, uh, according to the government archives, this thing was bypassed Blue Book and went straight to the Air Technical Intelligence Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, which is you know, where we, the Roswell wreckage supposedly went and where we study foreign technology, UFOs. Right. It's UFO central. But it was beyond that, this report, which was marked action and sent the next day, was also sent to Ent Air Force Base in Colorado. And that's where we track all air traffic, incoming and outgoing. And get this, the copy of this report was also sent to the Director of Intelligence at Washington, D.C. <laughs> 1952. They got this report of a UFO overdrive-in. It wasn't the last report they would get. More, more would be forthcoming. Um, sent directly to, again, you know, Wright-Patterson. Uh, so they knew from the very, very beginning that this was real. And for that matter, that drive-ins were being targeted. Wow, it's <laughs> crazy. I know it's insane. I've been to drive-ins. I never saw anything. Yeah, me, but I, I, me I put either. this book out, and I, and I immediately had a bunch of people contact me. I'm like, like this happened to me. I'm like, you're kidding. No, it's exactly like you described. It dropped out of the sky and hovered right next to the screen, and everyone's looking at it. People, oh. dude, you, you uncovered like a phenomenon that nobody's known about. Yeah, you know, and it, it threw me for a loop because I've been in this field for a long time looking for this kind of thing. And this is how information can get buried. And this is how effective the cover-up has been. There is a cover-up. Yeah, but it's um, so it, cool. Like, like you found a pattern. Yeah, yeah. And it proves what other researchers have been saying for a long time, that these things are putting on displays. They, this is, I think, their agenda in this type of case. They want to be seen because here, get this case. This is when I really realized uh, that they want to be seen. This is from uh, George Fawcett. 
a really well-known kind of pioneering early researcher uh, who uh, uncovered this case, which occurred at a drive-in. This object was cigar-shaped. Usually they're saucer-shaped. This mm -hmm. one came in, it was horizontal, it kind of parks next to the parking lot. They stopped the movie uh, because no one was watching the movie. And people were like afraid that it was going to get too close. And it had hung there for like uh, 15 minutes. And so they stopped the movie. Everyone's getting out the car. They're watching this thing. This thing turns up on end or from horizontal to mm -hmm. vertical. And one by one releases smaller discs. Not, not one or two, but 10. <laughs> and these 10 discs start darting around for the next 45 minutes. And just going all over the place, back and forth, up, up and down. And finally line up like little school children and get back into this uh, cigar-shaped object, which resumes a horizontal position and takes off. And so you can't tell me that wasn't a show. That yeah. thing wanted to be seen and it was putting on a show. Absolutely. There's no denying that one. Yeah, that's the one that made me like, okay, I know what's happening here. <laughs> These... You know, I thought, are they watching the movie? You know, maybe they're interested in studying human emotions. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know they like chasing cars. They see all these cars. Maybe maybe they're abducting people. Um, I didn't find that. You know, that's not what I found. What I found is they're putting on shows. They're like, oh, you want a show? You want to be entertained? Watch this, <laughs> and, and we'll prove their presence to people. I would love to see something like that. That would be like my dream come true. Right. Oh, my favorite case is so amazing. South Hutch driving in South Hutchinson, Kansas. I talked to the witness firsthand. Uh, I believe his name is Patrick. And uh, he was with his friend at the South Hutch Theater. It's a big theater. It's got a screen that's 120 feet wide, 40 feet tall. Uh, just a nice big screen. And uh, a bunch of people were there. They're watching a James Bond movie. They're parked in the center. They got there early. So they've got a good seat. And his friend like bumps his elbows like, look. And Patrick had already seen what's coming at them. Because right at the in their line of sight, which is what these things do, they show right where the screen is. It was off in the distance, though, and coming, making the beeline for the theater, coming from behind it. So I wonder how it even saw it, because I'm thinking, ah, you know, these screens are huge. Maybe they're seeing from way high up, uh, which does seem to be the case in some cases. But this one came from behind and comes zooming up to the movie screen and parks right next to it, just like at the Paramount um, case. And it's a huge flying saucer. He says it must have been 40 feet across. It was almost as long as the screen itself. And totally silent, had colored lights, really beautiful. He said it was green and purple and orange and red and yellow and just really pretty and nobody's panicking people are jumping out of the cars they're just in awe and it says it was the coolest thing he's ever seen and it sat there for five full minutes about and everyone's just staring at it and finally it, it moves and it goes behind the screen you can't see it for just a second because it's actually below the level of the screen it comes out the other side moves up 100 feet and parks there another few moments three minutes he says could have been five and then it makes a circle around the entire theater it's making sure everyone sees it is what i think you know 
rounding people up and starts moving down the highway, right above the highway at about 20 miles an hour. And so what happens? No one's watching the movie. James Bond is forgotten. <laughs> and uh, everyone makes a mad dash for the exits to follow this thing. And he says he was probably about the 10th car out right in the middle of a huge convoy of 40 cars, maybe 20 to 40 cars, uh, maybe the whole theater. Uh, but they follow this thing six miles down the road until it finally pulls off the road. Uh, you know, it's right above the road. It's and pulls off to the side of the road and goes up another few hundred feet. So it's maybe three, 400 feet up. And everyone's parked in the middle of the road, getting out of their cars. The highway's completely stopped. And uh, watch it for another few minutes. And everyone's like, UFO, oh my God, look at this UFO. And it suddenly takes off straight up and it's gone. It's an amazing case. Everyone saw it, it was the buzz of the town. <laughs> um, he thought it would get into newspapers and some people said oh yeah we reported it to the newspaper and it didn't <laughs> and he knew you know he was a photographer actually for the newspaper uh -huh. at that time he's like damn i wish i had brought my camera but wow. who brings a camera to a driving movie true and, true and, and well now really, well now everybody does but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and there are people who have tried to film this by the way but he wasn't able to but it goes to the newspaper <laughs> And he's like, you know, wh wh why aren't you printing this story? And they're like, what story? He's like, I was there, man. There was this UFO over the drive-in, over the South Hutch. Um, I know people came in here and talked about it. And they're like, no, they didn't. What are you talking about? We, we don't heard of it and we're not interested. Mm. And uh, that's when rumors started flying around that government people had shown up and said, you're not printing this story. Yeah, I've also heard stories like they just pay people off. <laughs> like all of a sudden, you know, somebody will have a sighting, you know, they'll be, you know, somebody who's poor or broke or whatever. And then the government just gives them some money and all of a sudden, like this guy, will, like have a new house, a new car, you know, in a way of explaining where the money came from. Yeah, I think that happened with Mac Brazel in the Roswell case, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. You got a new truck, <laughs> uh, but and yeah, I have heard that particularly with you know within government too, people who have been working with this and know the level of cooperation and government knowledge on the subject uh, are given you know resources and told that they're not going to go public or they will lose everything. Yeah. Uh, so. And make, you know, I don't have cases like that, but how would I? <laughs> because the people are going to be silent. Oh, yeah, yeah. If somebody's going to offer you, you know, a couple million dollars to be quiet. I imagine your average person would take it. That would be very tempting. Yeah. But on the other hand, I would feel like some people probably wouldn't, you know, because they want to go public. And I know there's been a few, I, I think, it, I forget which researcher it was, Colin Andrews. So that he was approached by secret government people who said, we can show you stuff. And there are researchers who have seen photographs or experiencers. The government will show up and says, did it look like this or this or this? And show them photographs of UFOs. Uh, I know that happened in a case in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm really unhappy with how our government has handled this. They're on my naughty list. Um, <laughs> because I understand it must have been very difficult Roswell 
and all that which followed uh, and they kind of painted themselves into a corner they're like we're not talking about this this is too sensitive uh, and we don't know what this is and it could be very dangerous but blue book said nope there's nothing to it it's no threat to national security and that's what every single quote official government study has said which is so disingenuous because the truth is is a national security threat from a military perspective, for sure. No doubt if they're shutting down our missiles, if they can shut down cars on the highway, if they can take people without their knowledge, uh, if they can outdistance all our jets. What, that's not a national security threat? They're hovering over our nuclear bases, <laughs> our power stations? Don't be ridiculous. I mean, what are you... So, now this is the problem our government is dealing with is like how do we get from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other without heads rolling and people becoming very angry yeah well, it seems like the ets are kind of getting people's attention despite the government's best efforts yep that's that grassroots campaign the government's like what you're not going to disclose this technology you have this free energy to overcome fossil fuels well, then we're going to take people on board and show them the engine room and tell them how it works. And that's exactly <laughs> what we're seeing. And that's not uncommon. I know how that sounds. But honest to God, yeah, the most common thing people report is being physically examined. Mm -hmm. And this can be very scary for people. And they panic. And it's a very traumatizing experience. And they don't remember anything else. Uh, but other people have a very different way of approaching it perhaps they're not as scared and they're taken to the engine room and shown how it works in my in my book onboard ufo encounters i cover 15 cases i think that happened like four times five times and at least two of the people were allowed to fly the craft itself i mean they will sit you down in the seat and show you how to do it and wow. i'm not the only i mean yvonne smith just talks about this she had an experiencer who got such clear instructions on how it worked he started submitting patents to the patent office on magnetic motors mm -hmm. he had the government show up and said we might have to mark this secret uh, just so you know so don't tell anyone about what you're working on here hmm. um, so i think the ets are really trying to get enlighten us in a number of different ways they're trying to let us know that our planet is in trouble, that if we keep polluting it and using nuclear power, uh, we are on a road towards self-destruction. They say, you can't use fossil fuels. This pollution is out of hand. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. And we actually have this technology, according to whistleblowers. Yeah. Yeah, I, we do. I, I've had my own experience with somebody who was involved with reverse engineering when I worked at Bell Labs. Yeah, it's not hard to find. I've had a few whistleblowers approach me. One really impressive case is actually really touching. The guy was in a hospital, very elderly. I'm sure he's passed away by this time. He was on his way out, is what he said, and wanted to get this off his chest and do his part. Uh, he was a subcontractor at Edwards Air Force Base. and various Air Force bases actually, but had been taken to Edwards Air Force Base and was walking across the tarmac there with his employer. And 
happened to see a warehouse and the window was open and he looked in, couldn't believe his eyes. It was a UFO, a silver object, saucer shaped hovering and you know, 20 feet across. And he, he turned to his employer, he was like, what's that? His employer turned sheet white, just like a ghost and wouldn't even talk and put his finger to his lips and gave him the angry eye, you know, the stink eye and uh, <laughs> told him, don't talk. I'm not talking about it. Don't dare mention it. Shut up. Uh, and wouldn't even acknowledge it for a while. And then sometime later, the same employer calls this guy up and says, you know, I need you to do another job. And the guy I talked to is like, no, I'm not doing it unless you tell me what, what we saw. And he's like, fine, but you can't tell anybody. And he said it was reversed engineered from alien technology, but it was actually our own. Uh, this wasn't an alien craft, mm -hmm. but, it, but it was made using alien design is what he said. Wow. So yeah, there's definitely truth to it. So I know there are, and, and I'm just, no, that's not my specialty. There are some researchers like George Knapp really yeah. grabbed the, the Bob Lazar story, mm -hmm. talked to a bunch of people within area 51 as did Linda Moulton Howe and who else, Bill Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just resting on one witness or one researcher. Uh, we know that this is going on. <laughs> I mean, you, it's at the point where you can't hide it. And this is why our government is being forced to disclose. If yeah. they don't, and they don't, they're going to lose control. And that's another thing that you just like, like, like what you experienced. Like, there's no way really to prevent those deathbed confessions. Yeah. And they are coming out of the woodwork. You know. They are. Um, yeah. One guy I talked to, this is kind of off on a tangent a little bit, but. He's elderly, he's retired, he wanted to get his story out. He was an electrician's mate on the USS Klamagor. And that carried nuclear weapons. And there's this weird nuclear connection again. Uh, nuclear tipped warheads, you know, torpedoes. And uh, he says, we're booking along once one evening. This is in 1971 on the east coast of the US, heading up the coast, several miles offshore on the surface and he said he, he was on watch with another petty officer the captains at the commander and the second in command and this uso shows up an unidentified submerged object submersible and it's booking at like a hundred knots he said coming from the stern and comes right alongside the submarine the clamagor and starts pacing it and it's huge it's you know 50 feet across, maybe. You can't really tell. It's underwater, but super bright. And the captain turns to him and says, what do the sonar guys see? You know, is this on the sonar? And the sonar guys saw nothing. They could not see it. And so they come running out because they wanted to see it. They couldn't believe it. And one by one, the major officers came up on deck to look at this thing because they wanted to see it too. And no one could identify it. Uh, it was clearly a USO, a UFO, and it paced their submarine for 15 minutes before darting off in another direction at about 80 knots. And the second in command turns to the captain and says, how do you, sir, how do I write this up in the log? And the commander says, uh, officers who write this thing up in the log do not move up in rank. 
That was his response. <laughs> so it was not uh, recorded in the log. And the second in command turns to Ray, the guy I interviewed, and the other guy says, stop talking, you know, shut up and don't tell anyone what you saw. And Ray says he never signed anything. <laughs> you know, they never made him sign any non-disclosure mm -hmm. thing. But he went below deck and they were mobbed. Both he and the other guy were mobbed by all the other uh, petty officers who wanted to know what they saw because it was the buzz of the Klamagor. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so he had to talk because they already knew. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's an amazing case. And I know our military knows a lot more about this than they're saying. It's yeah. a lot more than this Tic Tac footage. It's a lot mm. more than that. If they show us a piece of metal and say, we think this is from a UFO, I'm going to be so mad. Because <laughs> I'm like, really, you're going to show us this little tiny piece when you have you know, full on craft? Just show us the Roswell craft. Show me. Show us the bodies. I know you have them. Yeah. And I, you know, no one's going to care until they do. Look at, <laughs> look at what happened with this you know, Pentagon release. I started asking everyone I knew. I'm like, did you hear about it? Disclosure is here. They're like, what? What? <laughs> no, I didn't hear. What are you talking about? A few people are like, oh, yeah, I did hear. The government said something about UFOs. I'm like, yeah, they said they're real. <laughs> they're like, oh, really? They are? <laughs> I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's so, weird. <laughs> in a way, it's good, I think, because if this had come perhaps earlier, people might have freaked out. And now mm -hmm. it just slides in and people are like, yeah, all right, UFOs are real. So what else is new? <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. That's great. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on today, man. I love talking to you. You're an awesome guest. <laughs> hey, my pleasure. You're like, you a, you're like a UFO encyclopedia, man. I love this subject. I do. It's so interesting. Um, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Uh, I have a website. It's PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. If you Google my name, it should take you there. And you can contact me through my website or my email, PrestonUFO at gmail.com. i got all my books on Amazon. And you can read excerpts on my website. I have another book coming out this year. Uh, hopefully, too. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I'm keeping busy. I think this is an important subject. I'm pretty oh, excited. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going to have you back next month. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. I'll, I'll post the links to your website, to your books. I'll put your email, all that stuff in the notes of this episode. So when people listen to it, they'll be able to check you out. Hey, that'd be great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on today. And bear with me for one moment while I play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, 
I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.